Welcome to the Disciple Dare, a four-week series to challenge you to discover what it really means to be a follower of Jesus. More info on the Disciple Dare can be found at ViennaSDA.org. Pastor Jennifer Deans shows you through stories from the Bible how living the dare will give you hope in troubled times and joy in life. In this message, give me a list. So we just got done talking about Daniel chapter 2 and how it brought us down to the end of time and the last kingdom is God's rock kingdom. And I, I really want to be part of that. So how do I go about making sure that I'm saved so that I can be part of God's rock kingdom? Jesus was out on the hillside, as always, and as he's teaching... He decides to sit down, and he's talking, he's talking, and something about Jesus, even though so many people around, everybody could just hear him clearly. He seemed to be able to connect with everybody, and as he's teaching, slowly, you notice little kids get loose from their parents, and their parents are so enthralled about what Jesus is saying, as as he's teaching All of a sudden, a little kid sees his moment, makes a break for it, and runs as fast as he can and dives onto Jesus' lap. Peter and James and John see what's happening, and they are going to stop this. And so they are moving in, and as they're diving, they're diving too, trying to catch the kid. They can't let him stop Jesus. And they look at the parents and say, you get your kids. And, you know, this whole commotion and people aren't quite sure what just happened. This little kid is now on Jesus' lap, hanging on for dear life, as the disciples are trying to pull him off to give him back to his parents. And Jesus says, stop. Let the kids come. It's okay. I like kids. You know, if you want to get into the kingdom of heaven... You need to have the faith of one of these little kids. And with that, the little boy looks very smugly, and he sits there on Jesus' lap for the rest of his talk. And Jesus continues to talk, and he talks. And as the the sermon is wrapped up, and as Jesus is closing his talk, the little kid gives Jesus an extra squeeze. And there's a line, and other kids are hugging his leg, and he takes time, and he pats each one of them on the head. And he lets them know that, you know, I have time for you. In the background, there's a man, and he's been standing there, and he's watched this whole commotion. And this man, he's heard about this Jesus, And he wasn't sure if it was worth his time and energy to come out. But now he thinks this guy might have something. He he noticed in Jesus something that was different from any other teacher of the religious law. And maybe this man could help him figure out what was missing. You see, all his life he'd done what was right. But there still, it just wasn't quite enough. So this man goes up to Jesus, and after all the kids had filed out, as Jesus was beginning to walk away, he says, "Um, excuse me, sir, in the quietest, timidest voice. And Jesus, hearing everything, stops and turns. And now getting a little bit more courage, he says, "Um, good teacher, what must I do to be saved? And Jesus says, why do you call me good? Only God is good, right? 
And before the man has a chance to answer, Jesus says, but I'll answer your question for you. Um, you need to keep the commandments. Honor your father and mother. You know, don't steal. Don't commit adultery. No lying. And as, as Jesus is sharing all the different commandments, the guy is getting happier and happier and happier. You can see the excitement build on his face as he's going, check, haven't committed adultery. Check, haven't killed anybody lately. Um, check, um, haven't lied. And, he, and he's so excited. When Jesus finishes the list, he goes, great, I've done all of that since I was a little boy. That's not a problem. I've done it perfectly. And Jesus... There's a slightly different look on his face. It's a tender look. And as he looks at the man, says, there's one thing you still lack. The man's like, okay, I knew there was something missing. I, that's why I'm here. That's why I'm asking, what is it, Jesus? I want to have eternal life. I want, I want to go to heaven. And Jesus says, go and sell everything you own Give the money to the poor, and then come and follow me. And with that, the man's whole demeanor, his face, slumps, and he turns and he walks away. These two incidents happen right back to back with each other. And there's something very interesting about them. They're both talking about how you can be saved. Jesus says about the child, if we want to enter the kingdom of heaven, we have to have the faith of a child. And then this man comes, and if you read the different accounts in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, he's sometimes described as a young man. He's sometimes described as a ruler. He's sometimes described as rich. In all of them, it says he had wealth that was very great. And what is picked up on this is this was probably a Pharisee. This was probably one of the young, up-and-coming religious leaders of the day. And everybody looking at this man thought that, that if I'm going to have an example on what I need to do to be the best Jew, to get into heaven, I need to do what he's doing. He was the picture of perfection. You wanted to know how to do it right, you did what he did. Because he, he did it perfectly. He followed the laws. And so there is this theme here. What must I do to be saved? This is a very important theme that runs throughout the entire Bible. In fact, the book of Revelation, it talks about, if you turn with me to Revelation chapter 1, and I forgot to write down what page that was on, so give me a minute. Revelation chapter 1, it's page 1008. The very first verse of Revelation chapter 1 tells us that this last book of the Bible, what it's all about. Revelation chapter 1, verse 8, on page 1008, tells us, this is a revelation from, or if you look down in your Bibles, uh, or it says of, so this is a revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants the events that must soon take place. He sent an angel to present this revelation to his servant, John. So the opening statement in the book of Revelation says, the book of Revelation is about whom? Jesus. And what is it about? It's about Jesus and what? 
the events that are soon going to take place. And if you read through the rest of the Bible, you see that it talks about Jesus coming and what happens before Jesus coming. There is some very important text. If you turn to Revelation chapter 14, that's page 1016. Revelation chapter 14. Um, These passages are sometimes called the three angels' messages. And we're going to read one of them. Revelation chapter 14, verse 6. It says, And I saw another angel fly through the sky, carrying the eternal good news to proclaim to the people who belong to this world, to every nation, tribe, language, and people. Fear God, he shouted. Give glory to him, for the time has come when he will sit as judge. Worship him who made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and all the springs of water. So this is a very important announcement. But it seems maybe a little random. Why am I talking about this after just talking about the rich young ruler? If you look down, we'll get a little context about what's going on. Later on in verse 14 um, of chapter 14, it says, Then I saw a white cloud, and seated on the cloud was someone like the Son of Man. He had a gold crown on his head and a sharp sickle in his hand. Then another angel came from the temple and shouted to the one sitting on the throne, Swing the sickle, for the time of harvest has come. The crop on earth is ripe. So the one sitting on the cloud swung his sickle over the earth, and the whole earth was harvested. So what's happening here, the three angels' message here, is happening just before the Son of Man is swinging his sickle on the earth to harvest the earth. Now what does that mean? One of the cool things about Revelation that I've discovered in doing studies for this, did you know that there are 404 verses in Revelation? Of those, how many do you think are quotes from the Old Testament? Give me a number. Two hundred and seventy-eight verses of the four hundred and four verses in Revelation are direct quotes from the Old Testament or from other parts of the Bible. That's a pretty big number. A lot of us are scared of the book of Revelation because it's all these beasts and other stuff. But John is actually using what he knows to tell people about the future. And so let's look in Matthew to try to figure out what this reaping event or this harvest is about. Matthew chapter 13, verse 39. That's page 791. Matthew chapter 13, verse 39. Matthew 13, verse 39. It says, The enemy who planted the the weeds among the wheat is the devil. The harvest is the end of the world, and the harvesters are the angels. So what is happening in Revelation chapter 6, just before God's coming back to harvest the world, the end time, when Jesus comes back in his rock kingdom? The cool thing about God is he loves every one of us so much is he doesn't want us to miss any opportunity. So God is sending out a message. He's sending out an angel. Another word to translate is messenger. Angel and messenger are the same word. And so he's sending a message to his people. And what the message is, um, the angel is carrying the message of the good news to proclaim to whom? Who is he telling? 
It says everybody to every nation, every kindred, every tribe, every tongue. It covers everybody. There's, this is message is for absolutely everybody. It's not just for the Jews. It's not just for the Christians. It not, it's not just for people with blue eyes. It's for everybody. So what is this good news that the angel is proclaiming? You guys have any idea? Let's look at 1 Corinthians 15, 2 through 4. 1 Corinthians 15, 2 through 4. That's page 936. 1 Corinthians 15, 2 through 4. 936. It says, It is this good news, okay? So the good news in Revelation chapter 1. It is this good news um, that saves you if you continue to believe the message I told you. Unless, of course, you believe something that was never true in the first place. And then... Paul goes ahead to describe what the good news is. He says, I pass on to you what was most important and what had been passed on to me. Christ died for our sins, just as the scripture said. And he was buried and he was raised from the dead on the third day, just as the scripture had said. So the good news in the first angel's message is that Christ died for our sins and he was raised again to life. And that offers us an opportunity at salvation that we could never have on our own. We see that we can never have it on our own when we look at the story of the rich young ruler in contrast to the story of the, of the child whose faith makes them do things that we can never imagine that we would ever do as grown adults, as sensible people. Why is it that God tells us in Mark that we have to have the faith of a child in order to enter the kingdom of heaven? It's interesting. Well, I was babysitting pretty much all my life as soon as I was old enough. In fact, my mom was driving me to babysitting appointments as early as 10 years old, I think. And when I was in high school, I was babysitting this one little boy named Sonny. And um, it was my senior year in high school, so I spent the first five hours of the day with him because his mom was the girl's dean. So I'd go over there really early in the morning, get him up, get him bathed, and everything else. And Sonny and I got a really good relationship, and he didn't really talk all that well. He, he was about two when I first started babysitting him. But Sonny learned that he could trust me. And one of the things we loved to do is we'd go on walks, and we'd walk around Blue Mountain Academy, and we'd just, he liked to be outside, and his little legs couldn't handle it sometimes because I'd walk too far with him, so I'd have to carry him. But he was a pudgy little guy, so he's hard for me just to carry in my arms. So I'd put him on my shoulders. And like I said, he didn't talk very often. And so he'd be happily riding along, and all of a sudden he'd want to get down because he saw something. So what he did was he would just fall back. He would just fall back, and it scared me half to death because all of a sudden this heavy little kid is falling back off my shoulders, and I had to do one of these twist motions, and I caught him every time. And the first time he did it, he laughed so hard that then it became a game that he would, anytime I'd put him on my shoulders and he'd want down, he would just fall back, and it scared me so much that I quit putting it on my shoulders. But that's something that kids do. When they trust you, they know you're not going to hurt them. You know, they know you're there to take care of them, so I'm just going to do what you tell me to do. It, my sister, when she was still in diapers, we have a picture of her jumping off a high dive with floaties on her arm into my grandfather's arms in the deep end of the pool. I mean, you couldn't convince me today to jump off a high dive, and I, and I can swim. 
She couldn't swim. He told her, I'm going to be here. I'll catch you. Kids have a faith and a trust that is just so simple and so beautiful. So in Revelation chapter 1 says, we need to get out the message, the gospel, the good news that Jesus Christ came to save. We all in our minds, especially as we get older, say, yes, I can mentally agree that Jesus Christ came to save me. I agree with that. That's awesome. What do I need to do? Right? I, gotta, I have to do something. That's what, the, that's what the rich young ruler was doing. He'd figured out what he'd need to do. He'd found the Ten Commandments, and so he's going to abide by every single one of those. And is ten, keeping the Ten Commandments a good thing? Yeah. It's, I mean, why else would God give it to us? Turn with me to Galatians chapter 5. It's page five or 950, Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5, verse 4. So, it says, For if you are trying to make yourself right with God by keeping the law, you have been cut off from Christ. You have fallen away from God's grace. But we who live by the Spirit eagerly wait to receive by faith the righteousness God has promised us. What does this verse tell us? We're trying to just keep the law and just do it right. Is that going to be enough to get us into heaven? Okay, no. We're saved by grace, right? We're saved by faith in God. All right, well, let's look at Romans chapter 3, verse 20. That's page 914. Romans chapter 3, verse 20. Page 914. Romans chapter 3. Verse 20. It says, For no one can ever be made right with God by doing what the law commands. Okay, how many people can be made right by God by doing what the law commands? None. All right. The law simply shows us how sinful we are. All right. So we're getting a pretty clear picture because God tells the rich young ruler, Yeah, you've kept the commandments. That's not good enough. You've got to do something else. And it's something too much he can't handle it. And then he tells us that... We need to be like the child. We need to be willing to fall backwards when he tells us it's safe, and we need to be willing to jump off the high dive. So we need to have the faith of a child if we want to get into heaven. So where do these next verses come into play? It's a bit confusing to me. Look at 1 John 2, verses 3 through 4, and that's page 1,000. 1 John 2, verses 3 and 4. You there? First John 2, verses 3 and 4. And we can be sure that we know him, God, if we do what? Obey. obey his commands. If someone claims I know God but doesn't obey God's commands, that person is a liar and not living in God's truth. Okay, so um, the Bible's a bit contradictory here. First, it tells us that we're saved by faith, doing what the law demands is not good enough, and then it turns around and tells me that I'm a liar if I don't, you know, follow God's commands. So what is it? Let's look up a few more verses. Let's look at Matthew 5, verse 17, page 782. Matthew 5, 17. Matthew 
Matthew 5:17. Jesus is talking. Anytime it's in red in your Bible, as most of you know, that's when Jesus is talking. It says, Matthew 5, verse 17, Don't misunderstand why I came. I did not come to abolish the law of Moses or the writings of the prophets. No, I came to accomplish their purpose. I tell you the truth, unless heaven and earth disappear, not it, even the smallest detail of God's law will disappear until its purpose is achieved. So Jesus is saying, listen, I'm, I didn't come to get rid of the law. I came here to fulfill the law. And when he's saying not even the smallest detail of God's law, they're actually talking in Hebrew. When you write, have you ever seen Hebrew writing that's a whole bunch of squigglies, and then you see all these little dots everywhere? Like, those dots are, are vowels. They're, they're how you, you know, they, they don't have vowels in normal letters. They actually came in later in writing. And so it was just a whole bunch of consonants strung together. And so they would put dots and lines and dashes. They're called jots or tittles. And what the original language says here is not even a vowel is going to change from God's law unless all heaven and earth disappear. Okay. So how, do we, how, how are we saved? You know, the rich young ruler has this burning question in his heart and the first angel's message telling us that the good news of salvation is going to come to us and it's, we're saved through grace, through Jesus Christ. But there seems to be some contradictory here. You know, we're saved by faith, but, but what, where's the law come in? Okay, well, let's look up a few more verses. Let's look at Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9. That's page 953. Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. It says, God saved you by his grace when you believed or when you had faith. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done. So none of us can boast about it. Okay, so we're beginning to get an understanding. Salvation's not a reward. We're saved by faith, by belief in Jesus. Let's look at Romans chapter 1, verse 17. Let's get an even bigger picture. That's page 912. Romans chapter 1, verse 17. Romans 1, verse 17. It says, This good news, the good news is that Jesus died and rose again, tells us how God makes us right in his sight. This is accomplished from start to finish by faith. The scripture says it is through faith that a righteous person has life. All right? So, where does the law come in? Are, are we just supposed to forget about the other verses in the Bible? Are we supposed to forget about what happens there? Where does that fit in? Why wasn't it good enough for the rich young ruler that he kept the commandments? And everything in the story seemed to elude that he wasn't just, you know, puffing himself up. He seemed to be doing it pretty good. Why, why isn't that good enough? Turn with me to James chapter 2. That's page 990. James chapter 2, verse 17. Page 
James 2, verse 19 says, or 17 says, James 2, 17. So you see, faith by itself isn't enough. Unless it produces good deeds, it is dead and useless. Now, someone may argue some people have faith and other people have good deeds. But I say, how can you show me your faith if you haven't done good deeds? I will show you my faith by my good deeds. You say you have faith for you believe that there is one God. Good for you. Even the demons believe this, and they tremble with terror. How foolish. Can't you see that faith without good deeds is useless? It's not an either or. It's a both and. But understanding where it comes into play and how it works together is what we need to get an understanding of. Because if we're going to share the good news with people, people need to know, what do I do? How, how am I saved? In Acts, it tells us that the jailer looks at Paul and Silas and says, what must I do to be saved? It's the question on everybody's list, lips. So if we're going to be God's messenger and share the good news with people, we need to know what it looks like and what it means. We can't be saved by our works. We're saved through faith in Jesus Christ, and his death takes our place. We're never going to be good enough, but at the same time, if I have faith, but it doesn't become evident in the way I live my life, that's not actually faith. I can talk about anything I want to. The demons know that God exists. The demons know the Bible inside out, upside down, and backwards. They can quote it more ways than you could possibly think of, in more languages than you could think of. That doesn't mean anything. They have faith. They believe that God exists. So how do they fit together? In John chapter 14, Jesus tells people, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And when I was in high school, my um, religious teacher, um, we spent an entire class period He said, we're going to just spend an entire class period on this one verse. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And he says, and what we're going to do is I want you guys to say it right. We're like, what do you mean? So he had us read it. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. We're like, cool. He's like, no, we're not. We'll get out of class early if you can say it right. We're like, what do you mean? If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And we kept putting the emphasis on the different syllables. And it was, we were just going... We were going over and over again. What, what were you talking about? And what he was trying to get the point across is out of love for God, we keep his commandments. A story is told of a woman who got married when she was young. And on their wedding night, the husband looked at his wife and said, I'm so glad I married you. You're going to be a great wife. I've written down a few things that a good wife does. And so he hands his wife a checklist. And he says, I'm going to work, and when I come home, you should have these things done. And so the wife is a little shaken back, but as her husband leaves for work, she begins her tasks, and she does the ironing, and she does the wash, and she does the vacuuming, and she pays the bills, and she accomplishes everything. And her husband comes home, and he says, what a good wife you are. I love you so much. That's awesome. She's feeling pretty good about herself. Well, the next day, her husband hands her another list. And this list, he's added a few more things for her to do. And day after day after day, she gets another list. Every time she gets a new list, 
After a while, she, she doesn't want to get up in the morning. She, she just wishes he would go away and leave her alone. And she finds herself falling into a deep depression. And she can't even get up and get dressed. She's still in bed when her husband comes home. And her husband's like, that's it. You are a horrible wife. And he divorces her. She spends the next few years going through some pretty major therapy and self-esteem issues. And another man comes into her life. And they begin dating. They get married. She was a little hesitant to marry him because when dating her previous husband, everything was good. It was the wedding night that was the problem. And so the wedding night comes and goes, and she's expecting a list. This time she's, she's saved her energy for a few years. So she thinks she can handle it. And she's expecting a list, and her husband gets up, and he gives her a kiss, and he says, Good morning, sweetie, and then goes about his day. Well, she's like, Well, this is just the honeymoon. And so she's thinking, after we get home from the honeymoon, there's going to be a list. There's going to be something that I need to do. And so after their honeymoon, no lists appear. And it goes like this until after a while, she's, she's not expecting a list anymore. And she's thriving, and she loves her husband, and a great life together. And one day she's cleaning out some old boxes, and she finds one of the lists from her previous husband. She starts reading through the list, and she realizes for her current husband, she is doing everything on the list and more. What was the difference? It was out of love, not out of demands. What we like to do is we like to put parameters on things, and we like to think, I've got to figure out what to do right, and if I can just do it, and if I can muscle through it, that's going to be enough. And that's what the rich young ruler was doing. He was trying to muscle through it. But Matthew tells us that God's, you know, the Pharisees come and ask Jesus, what is the greatest commandment? And Jesus summarizes them. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. The second is like unto it, love your neighbor as yourself. God's law is rooted in love, not in a to-do list. And so when Jesus says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments, it's out of love for him that we will naturally begin to change and our lives will naturally begin to, to show the fruits of his love. The rich young ruler missed that. And the disciples are looking at him, and as they're looking at him, they say, Jesus, if he can't be saved, turn with me to Mark chapter 10. It's one of my favorite verses in the Bible, Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10, verse 26. That's page 819. Mark chapter 10, verse 26. The disciples were astonished. Then who in the world can be saved, they asked. Jesus looked at them intently and said, Humanly speaking, it's impossible. But not with God. Everything is possible with God. Remember I told you before, God takes us right where we're at, but he loves us too much to leave us there. And that's where the salvation by faith comes in that proves itself in work. Jesus promises us over and over and over again. He's not going to leave us alone. It's impossible for us to work our way to salvation. In fact, Jesus earlier in the story says it's easier for the camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to be saved. 
Why is that? People who have a lot of money don't feel they need a whole lot. Not that rich people can't be saved. There's a lot of rich people in the Bible that are, David's a man after God's own heart. He was a wealthy man. So salvation comes down to, it's not by works, it's by faith. And it comes back to the first angel's message in Revelation chapter 14. Turn to Revelation chapter 14. It says, And I saw another angel flying through the sky, carrying the eternal good news. Revelation 14, 10, 16 is the page. There's a, there's a message that goes out just before Jesus comes back to take his people home, to reap his harvest on earth. And this is one of the messages, the first message that goes out. It says, And I saw another angel flying through the sky, carrying the eternal good news to proclaim to the people who belong to this world, to every nation, tribe, language, and people. God wants all of us to know the good news. The good news is that we are saved by faith in Jesus Christ, believing that his death will take our place because Romans 6.23 tells us that the wages of sin is death, but the gift, the free gift of God is eternal life. A wage is something we earn. A gift is something we, pay, we can't pay for. It's free. So we've earned death, and so we are saved by faith. And so the good news is we need to tell everybody we come in contact. The good news is you are saved by faith, And when that faith enters your life, when you encounter Jesus, you will fall in love with him. And that love will display itself in God's law, which is based on love. It says to fear God. What does it mean to fear God? Turn with me to Ecclesiastes chapter 12, page 544. Ecclesiastes chapter 12, page 544. Ecclesiastes chapter 12. Book hides on me. Sorry. There it is. Ecclesiastes chapter 12. Solomon has written the book. And in the first part of Ecclesiastes, he says, Vanity, vanity, everything is vanity, useless. There's nothing... That's new under the sun. And Solomon is the wisest man that ever lives. And he tells us in Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verse 13. It says, that's the whole story. Here's now my final conclusion. The wisest man who ever lived, his final conclusion is, fear God and obey his commands, for this is everyone's duty. God will judge us for everything we do, including the very secret things whether good or bad. Fear God and obey his commands. Fear is not be afraid of, it's respect God. And it's obeying God's commands. So the first angel's message tells us there's a message of good news going out, and that good news is we are saved by faith in Jesus Christ. You can't do it on your own. But that saving relationship with God will produce the fruits of, of his laws, of his spirit in your life, so that people will notice. When you are saved, 
five years from now, you will be different if you have entered a saving relationship with God. It's not a one-time thing. It's not just saved once and then I'm good and can do whatever I want. It's a moment-by-moment relationship with God. And it says, fear God in Revelation chapter 14, for his, the hour of his judgment is come. There's a message that's going out that God's judgment is coming. And the only way you're going to be able to stand up in his judgment is not if you're good enough, not if you followed all the rules like the rich young ruler, it's if you have the faith of a child to realize I'm not good enough, but Jesus said I could jump in his lap, and that's what I'm going to do. I want to extend a challenge to you today. In Hebrews chapter 8, verse 10, page 938, Hebrews chapter 8, verse 10, it tells us, Hebrews 8, verse 10, But this is the new covenant I will make with the people of Israel on that day, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their minds, and I will write them on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. When we accept a saving relationship with God, God, we don't have to figure out what to do. God puts his laws on our minds. Our mind represents our knowledge, our choice. So he's going to help us come to the point where we're choosing to follow his laws. And sometimes we start by choosing to do something, even though we don't really want to do it. So God says, not only am I going to put it on your minds, I'm going to write them on your hearts. The heart symbolizes the center of emotion. So when we trust God and we take that leap of faith and we surrender to him and accept the free gift of salvation he gives, he's going to help us start by doing the right thing because we know we should. And then he's going to bring us to the point where we want to and we enjoy it and we love it and we realize like the lady that we've completed the list and more because we love God. The dare tonight is do you accept that there's absolutely nothing you can do to be saved? Nothing that you can do, no good works by itself. Do you accept that it's only through a saving relationship with God that you will produce fruits in line with his law of love? Can you accept the dare to surrender anything that stands between you and God's salvation? The rich young ruler, his problem was he couldn't give up his wealth. Not that it was bad, but it was more important than trusting God. I want to end with one verse that I love in Mark chapter 10. Turn with me to Mark chapter 10. This verse has gotten me through a lot of times in my life. Mark chapter 10, starting in verse 29. Yes, Jesus replied, And I assure you that everyone who has given up house or brother, sister, mother, or father, children or property, for my sake and for the sake of the good news, will receive now in return a hundred times as many homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and property, along with them persecution. And in the world to come, that person will have eternal life. Jesus promises if we're willing to trust him, 
and have that faith, even if it means giving up something, like the rich young ruler giving up his wealth, that will get something a hundred times better in this lifetime, and will have eternal life in the next. Pretty worth it. The challenge for you is to share the first angel's message with everyone you come in contact with. We've got to get the word out. You've been listening to The Disciple Dare from Pastor Jennifer Deans. We hope this message encouraged you as you learn to follow in Jesus' footsteps. If you'd like to learn more about how you can take the dare, drop by ViennaSDA.org. There you'll find resources to get connected to others like yourself and to help in your spiritual journey.